Welcome to the Greystone Church Podcast. We are grateful that you're here. We pray that you will be blessed by this message and that God will impact your hearts. Let's listen. All right. Well, good morning. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Uh, If I haven't met you, which makes sense being here because this isn't the place where I usually am. Uh, My name is Andrew. I'm the Oconee Campus Pastor. So excited to be with you guys at Azora this morning. Want to go ahead and welcome everybody at Oconee and at Walton who's watching or if you're watching online or catching it sometime after Sunday. We're, we're glad that you're doing that. Um, I'm grateful for the chance to be here and be a part of this series. You know, we've only got a couple of weeks left of Mel Gibson yelling at us before we get, before the preaching. And then it's gonna have to be a new thing. So just to prepare you guys, we're close to the end. All right, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a tough thing. Um, I am, I'm looking forward to today where really the plan is we're gonna look at a couple of chapters in the book of Acts, chapters 19 and 20, kind of go point by point and just see what we can learn. Um, But before we jump too far into that, um, as part of of preparing the the message and stuff, and and you'll see why in a minute, I was looking two years into the past. It just some headlines and trying to get a sense of of what was going on in the world um, late March, early April of 2020, right? And if I gave you two guesses as to what everything was about, you're not even gonna need the second guess. Right, okay, so it was early pandemic. A lot of stuff was weird. A lot of stuff was happening that we were not prepared for in any way, right? Sports, out of here, done. We got to shut them down, take take a break, whatever you gotta do. We are not playing sports right now. Schools, I don't know, we'll figure out. Parents, you can teach your kids, but also teachers teach the kids, but also they're gonna be just at home all of the time. That was happening a little bit early. Um, We, on the church front, we're trying to figure our own stuff out here. You go back through the Greystone YouTube channel and you go back to the, the last weekend of March is the service that I pulled up and all of the, the pre-service announcements are all like get into this virtual thing on Wednesday, get into this virtual thing on Friday, virtual small groups and it was weird and then we fade up and we're ready for the service and it's, it's me, it happened to be me standing here-ish on this spot in the stage and then Reggie Anderson was standing exactly six feet away from me at another part because dadgummit, we were gonna social distance and our feet were going to be planted. And it was weird and we were figuring it out. And I think that we can all appreciate how much can change over a two year period of time is kind of the point that I'm getting at. I mean, two years ago, I had a girlfriend and now I have a wife. So like, that's kind of a big deal and a big change. Thank you, thank you, appreciate that. We're almost five months in, so basically experts. Like any questions you got, we figured it out. I don't know, some of you guys say it's hard. I don't, it's not that hard. No, um, the reason I'm talking two years in, in two year windows is because in Acts 19 and 20, we get a picture of part of the Apostle Paul's life where he's spending two years in one place. He's been going about on these different missionary journeys, spending time in different places, and we're gonna, gonna find him in Ephesus here at the beginning of of chapter 19, and and he's gonna spend two years advancing the kingdom and building the church and teaching the gospel here. And again, we're just gonna kinda go story by story. We're not gonna read every verse of these two chapters um, because it's spring break, and spring break is not a time for reading, right? It's a time for relaxing. Um, But we are are gonna see just kind of the example that Paul said, and hopefully we're gonna find some things to apply to our lives or some things that can challenge us, hopefully some things that can encourage us, and hopefully just some things that we can learn, like I said, and apply to our lives. So as we get into chapter 19, right away, we have Paul arriving in Ephesus, and I wanna read a couple verses here at the beginning, starting in verse two. 
It says, and he said to them, so Paul has encountered a group of disciples and they're having a conversation. It says, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. So an interesting little back and forth that Paul has here. He shows up on the scene and immediately we see him talking to people who are described as disciples, but obviously have an incomplete faith, right? They're trying to put a puzzle together, but they don't have all the pieces. And the ones they don't have are big. They're like, it's like the Jesus and the Holy Spirit piece, like pretty important. And Paul does an important thing that I wanna draw our attention to right away is as he's discerning in this moment of, of what is going on and he understands there seems to be some lacking in, in understanding on the part of these disciples, he asks them potentially a difficult question, potentially a, a question that's gonna make them feel bad or make him feel weird or lead to some conflict, but he does it anyway because the heart behind everything that Paul's doing, as we're gonna see, is to build the church and, and to bring people in to faith and into the family of God. And so he asked them questions with the goal of, of pushing them towards growth. And I think that's an important lesson that we can take away just kind of immediately into our passage here is are we willing to ask people questions that are hard that might lead to something uncomfortable, right? Because what is he, he telling him? The thing that you believe, like you got baptized into John's baptism and John was a great guy. John told us to be on the lookout that Jesus was coming, that the Messiah was on the way. It's a good thing to believe, it's just not the whole picture and it's definitely not a path that leads to salvation because it's not about the thing that John said about Jesus, it's about Jesus, right? And the things that he did, that's where our faith needs to rest. And Paul was willing to ask that question. He was willing to push them towards growth by willing to be a little uncomfortable and sometimes I think that's something we need. He wasn't trying to break them down, Paul wasn't trying to prove just that he knew more stuff or that he was smarter than them. He wanted him to grow. And so he asked a difficult question. It's a good lesson, I think, for us. I also think that as good as we read through scripture and as we study the Bible, not to always try to identify with the main character of her story, right? Because there's a lot to learn around whoever the protagonist happens to be at that time. So if we put ourselves not in the, in the shoes of Paul, but in the shoes of the disciples, and we look at how they responded, we're not gonna read every verse, but but after Paul poses these questions and, and kind of challenges them and presents a more complete version of the gospel, they come to faith. They come to that complete and full and saving faith. And then they start to build the church right away. So they receive that question really well. And I think there's another lesson there. Is when you are asked a difficult question or how do you respond to it? When somebody asks you a question, especially one that points out something that maybe you're bad at or maybe an area in your life or in your walk with the Lord where you're, where you're falling a little bit short, what is your instant reaction? Is it to be defensive? Is it to deflect? Is it to, to use a joke and sidestep and change the subject right away? Is it to justify or rationalize? Or is there humility in that moment? And are you willing to accept and, and express, hey, this, I'm not nailing it right here. I'm not a 10 out of 10. I have room to grow. I have something to learn. This is a thing I misunderstood. This is something I did wrong. What's your reaction when you are presented with a difficult question? I think a lot of times that depends on who's asking the question, right, for us. For these disciples, it was Paul. Like, Paul is gonna be a well-known guy at this point. If he's telling you a spiritual thing, I'm gonna listen, 
right? When we're in meetings here at the church and Jonathan is speaking, we are paying attention. He's wise. He's our spiritual leader. Like, I'm gonna receive questions he's asking me in a certain way. But there's other people in our lives sometimes that we have to give permission to ask us the hard questions, right? That's usually a small group of people. Somebody who knows you well enough who can tell when is the time to step in and and challenge you and, and step to you and ask you to hold you accountable. And I wonder, do you have those people in your life who can ask the questions and you're gonna answer them honestly even if it hurts a little bit? Because we see that there's, there's fruit in that. There's a path to growing spiritually when we have those people in our lives and when we respond in the right way. Um, verse 10 of chapter 19 says, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Just so you guys didn't think I was making up the two-year thing. I wanted to point that out. That's where we're at. And so right away, God is at work through Paul, and the church is growing. It starts with this first conversation, and it continues. We get to verse 11, and it says God was doing extraordinary miracles. That's how they say in the, in the ESV here, which I think is notable, because it could have just said that God was doing miracles through Paul, and that would have been, you know, miraculous. It would have mean Paul was doing incredible things with the power of the Lord, but it goes a step beyond extraordinary miracles, So we can only imagine everything that was happening in and around this time. Some of the things we have record of are people would take handkerchiefs or or the the Bible says aprons or different pieces of of fabric that had touched Paul. They would take them away from Paul. Hopefully he was cool with it, right? They were just stealing his clothes, I don't know. But they would take them away from Paul and they would give them to people who were sick, people who were unwell, even people who were possessed by demons or possessed by spirits. And when the, the person who was sick or was unwell came in contact with these, with these garments, with these pieces of fabric, they were being healed. It was the power of God kind of working through Paul, and people are starting to notice this, and, and the church is, again, growing and advancing and spreading through the, through the city of Ephesus because of the work that Paul is doing. And there's some people who start to take note of this and, and seem interested in maybe coasting off of the fame and, and off of the work and the attention that's being drawn to Paul and to the church. Um, we get record of these people who are trying to make their name or make their living by being exorcists, just like going around casting out demons or spirits from people. And we have this, this story where they go and, and they kind of get quoted as saying, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches about, I'm gonna try to cast out this demon. So there's almost this, like this secondhand power that they're trying to coast off of and, and make a living. And it goes really poorly for them and they end up getting embarrassed and they get exposed as, as frauds because of course, they're trying to not, not embrace faith or not commit to following the Lord. They're just kind of interested in the parts that seem fun or the parts that seem good or the parts that seem lucrative. It goes poorly for them. And the church grows as a result. Again, Paul, faithful, God is working through him. Somebody, there's challenges. Somebody tries to, to steal a little bit of that and it goes wrong and the kingdom of God advances again. Which brings us to the riot, the citywide riot. I don't know if you expected to hear about a riot today, but here we are. One of the things we need to know about the city of of Ephesus is that it was the location of this great, incredible, immaculate, almost worldwide famous temple to to a goddess named, the Greeks called her Diana, the the Romans called her Artemis. Um, And in the ESV here where we're reading, Artemis is the name that gets used. And this was a really, really famous place of worship. People not only from throughout the entire city of Ephesus would come, but from all the surrounding areas, people would come and either worship or pay homage or just come to inspect and see 
like this incredible place of worship, this, this tabernacle, this temple to this goddess. And as you can probably imagine, there were people that found a way to make money and make their living based on just all the foot traffic and all the interactions that people were gonna have with this temple and with this place and with Artemis or Diana. One of them, we, we get his name, is Demetrius. He, he's a silversmith, and what he would do is he would build little idols or little shrines or little altars, and he would give them to these merchants to sell. Then they split the profits, right? And so people are making a good living because of how popular, because of how famous this temple is and how many people are coming in until Paul and the church show up. And as the Paul and the church and the gospel advances and people are coming to faith and coming to this understanding that there is one true God, right, Jehovah God and his son Jesus came down and they're starting to understand and understand this more fully. There's a little bit less traffic over in the temple of Diana and a little less traffic and, and fewer people coming through here and coming to worship. What does that mean? It means less money for Demetrius and his friends. This makes them upset. And their, their response to this is start to stir people up slowly. They start this conversation like, what are these people doing? They're preaching that there's only one God. This is an issue for us because if there's only one and it's not the one that we have the merch rights to, we're gonna be going out of business. And they stir up and eventually they get enough people angry enough that throughout the whole city there's just this kind of fury that's, that's built up, there's this groundswell of, of anger and it all kind of comes to a head as people rush into a theater and they're shouting and they pull a few of the church members and a few believers in there and directing all of their anger at them and different people try to get up and calm the crowd and they get shouted down for hours and hours and hours on end. Eventually, somebody's referred to as a town clerk who's probably the, the mayor, like appointed in a mayoral role here over the city, gets everybody quiet enough to where he can talk and where he can address the situation. And here's what he, he says, and we're gonna get um, to verse 37 here in chapter 19, if you wanna read with us. So this is this town clerk or this mayor, and he's addressing this just crowd that's been screaming at the top of their lungs for hours about what do they wanna do? What do you expect to happen here? Look at verse 37. It says, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, let them bring their charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. So verse 37 I think is interesting there. For if you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess, so this objective kind of third party who's only interested in having the angry people stop being angry, he's just pointing out a fact to them, that the guys that you're mad at, these, these church peepers, followers of the way, is, is what they were called a couple of times through these chapters, they haven't done the th anything to make you this mad. They're going about their business, but they haven't been sacrilegious. They haven't been blasphemous. They haven't been just out here to tear you down. They've just been preaching a gospel and a faith. I think there's a great observation there for, for us in 2022 as we see the church impacting the community in a, re, in a tangible financial fiscal way. Like the, the community feels the impact of the growth of the church in a way that is forcing people to respond. They're either responding to the gospel and they're joining this movement and they're following Jesus and it's a good thing or they're responding in another way and, the, and there's anger and they can feel the effects of this but there's a real impact in a community, real people, real businesses, just because Paul 
and the disciples there in the church are faithfully preaching the gospel and teaching. And it's just interesting to me that in the middle of of a riot that centers around the church, the church people weren't the angry ones, right? And hopefully that's encouraging and that's an example to us, just that by preaching the truth, the whole truth, Paul's telling like there is one God, one God who's worthy of your worship, one God who who is true and lasts forever and sent his son for us. And just by staying on message, impacted businesses in a community. I think there's a lesson there for us. So after the the riot kind of calms down, we get to the end of chapter 19, the beginning of of chapter 20. Paul's being led by the Spirit to whatever the next part of his journey is gonna be. He's being led away from Ephesus at this point. And just for for time's sake, I'm not gonna be able to, to cover the verses where Paul raises somebody from the dead, but that happens, that's here. You should read it. Again, an extraordinary miracle done by God through, through Paul. But before Paul gets too far down the road and before he loses touch with the Ephesian church and the elders there, he gathers them together. He gathers the elders, elders of the church because he has a final word. He wants to give them a final address. And I think it's really important and really instructive for us. So as we get to, to Acts 20, verse 18, I'm gonna read kind of his whole closing statement here, his farewell to the Ephesian church. Again, starting in verse 18, here's what he says. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Verse 24 is is huge here. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. It's a powerful words. It's a powerful closing message. Um, it's almost like Paul's, Paul's a writer, right? He he lays it out for him. He says, listen, I've given you my best. I've given you everything I've done. I've taught you the full, the full truth of the gospel and of scripture and proclaimed the kingdom of God fully and truthfully to you. We see that in chapter 19. As soon as he shows on the scene, he is correcting an incorrect view of, of what faith means and he's giving the full picture to it. He's faithfully been, been pursuing this kingdom growth, this kingdom advancement all through these two years all through his time in in Ephesus. He says, I've given you the best, but now I'm being led away, and I'm gonna go away, and I'm gonna step into into what I know is gonna be a difficult time in my life, right? It says that he expects imprisonment, he expects afflictions. And we'll look at verse 24 again, because he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul understood inherently, it seems, 
that if you want to finish well, whatever you're doing, whatever path your life is leading you down, if you want to finish it well, you have to care about the finish before you get there, right? He understood this. He was doing the work in the middle of this journey, always focused on finishing well. It allowed him to say something as, as seemingly just weird and, and off-putting as, I do not account my life as very valuable because he knows if you want to finish well, you have to care before you get to the end. And we can look back over the entire scope of Paul's life since his conversion, right? Way back early in the book of Acts and we can see exactly how intentional he was. Every step of the way, we can see how much care he put into to conversations with people. We can see how he poured his life into other believers and was trying to raise up the, the future leaders of the church. We can see how God honored that faithfulness and that, that purpose that he seemed to, to walk with and all of the fruit that he got to see in real time of the church growing and, and blossoming. And he's able to leave a, a healthy church behind him as he goes into whatever his next step is. And I think there's just a great example there for us as we, as we look at the conviction and the confidence that he was able to step into the next phase of his life with. Because he knew what he had been called to do. And he was willing to step into that calling without sidestepping without doubt, he just stepped in because this is what his God, the God he had surrendered his life to has called him to do. And as we kind of work towards the close and we, we look at these chapter and even consider again, just the life of, of Paul, there's three things I wanna draw our attention to as ways that maybe we can really specifically apply some of the lessons that he's shown us to our lives so that we have some action steps to take as we, as we go out into our days and into our weeks. Um, the first one is this. We spent a little time talking about this at, at the beginning, but embrace difficult questions. Um, to be a follower of Christ, it means you're gonna have to walk through difficult times because to, to live life on this earth in a broken world that we live in means that there are gonna be difficult things. There are gonna be things that are hard to deal with. We're not always gonna know the answer. The answer to the questions we're asking are not always gonna be easy. Can't shy away from difficult questions. And I wonder just as a really practical thing, if I asked each of you, if we had the time and we lined up and I got to ask each of you the question, who in your life gets to ask you difficult questions? And you're gonna respond honestly to them. I wonder if each of us had names that immediately come to mind. Like, could you write four people's names down of people who know you well enough to know the right questions to ask, right? They're gonna have the context, they're gonna, you can trust the heart behind them as they, as they come to you to, to hold you accountable to certain things. Who are those people in your life? If you don't have them, how do you find them, right? How do you cultivate and, and build a relationship to, to the part where you're gonna invite somebody into that space where they can ask you a question that even if your answer is bad, you're gonna give it to them. And even if you know the follow-up is, I need help in this, or I've been failing in this, or I haven't been enough in this area, I'm glad that you asked me the question because now I can address it, and now I can grow. Who are the people that are gonna ask you hard questions? Are you willing to be that person for somebody else? Are you willing to put the time in to know somebody well enough that you can feel a little bit when they're pulling back from responsibilities that they have or they're, they're starting to build some habits that aren't healthy or they're hanging around people who you know are gonna affect them negatively? Are you willing to risk a little bit of conflict? Are you willing to, to risk just kind of the status quo in order to ask them a difficult question? With the heart behind that being, let me push you towards health. Let me push you towards growth. 
we willing to embrace difficult questions? Second point is this, we need to let, let your faith impact your community. Paul taught the truth of Christ. He was not ashamed, he did not act in a way that was shameful, right? Objective third party in the middle of a riot couldn't find fault with how Paul went about the business of, of impacting the community by sharing his faith and building the church. What if that was true for us in the places where we lived? What if Loganville, Monroe, Athens, Bogart, between wherever you are, wherever your life is happening right now, what if the church got together and was so focused on our mission that everybody had to respond to the gospel in some way? Businesses, communities, schools, whatever it was, they had to respond in some way because the gospel was ever present, because it was being shared in words and in actions and if the reputation of the church was such that even if people were mad, they couldn't even really be mad because we were above reproach in the way that we were sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for us. What if that's the kind of impact that we're able to build to in the communities where we live? What does it take to get there? What does that look like? What do we need to change? Those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Those are the questions that need answered so we can put some action behind them. The third point and the last one I have for you guys is, is this, is just to pursue your purpose. Um, Paul in this, in this close is so clear and, and confident. I'm, I'm jealous of it from time to time, and I know all of us probably have been in a time where you're just asking yourself the question, God, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Why am I here right now? Why does my life look like this? Why do I live here? Why is my family situation this? We don't see Paul asking those questions. We see Paul saying things like, I do not account my life as any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's really clear on his purpose. He's clear to the point where he's saying, my life isn't even that valuable. You know why it's not that valuable? Because it's not mine, I gave it away. I gave it away years ago when God knocked me off a donkey onto my back with a blinding light on the road to Damascus. And in that moment, my life was changed. In that moment, Paul's perspective shifted from what he was about to do, which was persecuting the church and trying to end it, by the way. He went from that to now I have an eternal perspective. Now, as I think about what's coming next, for me in my life, I know that it doesn't matter that much because I'm gonna hit the end of my life. There's gonna be an end point, and after that is forever. And after that is eternity, and that's true for us too. And I think in just kind of the baseline of craziness and busyness and chaos that we have to walk through just to get to the end of a week in the year 2022, it's easy to lose that eternal perspective, right? The truth, just the, the lasting truth that we have time here on earth. God's given each of us a certain amount of it, but for all of us, we're gonna hit the end. And then after that is gonna be forever. And our souls are gonna live on. And they're either gonna live on in heaven in the presence of a good God who completes us and gives us fullness of joy and peace and rejoicing and all of these things, or it's gonna be forever in hell and it's gonna be separated from him and it's gonna be darkness and it's gonna be torment. And that's forever. And the only way to end up here and not here is to put our faith in the finished work that Jesus did because there's sin, right? Our sin separated us from God. It made our relationship with him not right. And there wasn't a way for us to fix that once we messed it up. When the standard's perfection and you're imperfect, there's no way to undo that. We had to have somebody come and be perfect for us, and that's what Jesus did. 
That's what John was talking about happening. That's why our faith has to be in him and not the stuff that people said about him. So if we've accepted that, the work that Jesus did, if we understand that idea that we're gonna live forever, eternal perspective, all of a sudden, maybe it's a little bit easier to get to a point to say, my life is not that valuable in the scheme of everything else, but I can find value in it by giving it and surrendering it to the Lord, letting him use me in whatever way he sees fit, letting him take me wherever he wants to take me. Whether that's gonna be an easy path or a hard one, I don't know, I don't get to make those decisions, I've just, I've turned it over to the Lord, it's his. And maybe that seems like a bridge too far, maybe that seems like a difficult place to get to. Um, I believe we can, all, we can all get to a point where we have this conviction, where we have this confidence, but the journey there starts by taking whatever your next step of faith is. And we all have one of those. That's universally true for all of us. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. It doesn't matter if you're not. If you're just here and you're checking out church because it's spring break and you had a little extra time, you have a next step of faith to take as well. It might be your first one, just in the direction of engaging with this, with scripture, with the story of Jesus and what it means for you but we all have a next step that we have to take. And the, the beauty of the Lord and, and his faithfulness to us and his faithfulness to this mission of advancing the kingdom is that if we seek that step, he's gonna show us what it is. It's not hiding away from us. Sometimes his timing is different than ours. Sometimes the answer isn't what we expect it to be. But if we seek the next step of faith, he's gonna show it to us. And then it's on us. Then we have to take it, right? We have to be, Paul, we have to say, I know that the next thing is gonna be hard, but guess what? I've surrendered my life, and so I'm gonna take this step of faith, and God is gonna honor the step of faith that I take. So as we have some time to respond in, in worship and, and towards the close of the services here, I hope that that's your prayer, that you're asking the, the Lord to show you what your next step of faith is. Does it need to be baptism? Does it need to be small group? Does it just need to be a willingness to put some names on the list of, I need to make sure these people know they get to ask me the hard questions? to spur me towards growth that I'm gonna answer honestly. Whatever that needs to be for you, for wherever you're watching, whatever time you, you come across this, there's a next step of, faith, step of faith to take. And as a church, we can help each other do that. It's not a thing you have to do by yourself, which I think is a pretty cool thing. Um, I'd love to pray for us as we move towards a time of worship and just encourage you to respond in whatever way the Lord leads you to. So let's pray. God, thank you for just the example that, that we see in your word of Paul, God, and we could turn to any book and we could turn to any, any passage and be just encouraged and challenged by the way you've used faithful people to grow your church, to adopt people into your family. God, we all needed it. If we're here in believers, somebody paved the way for us. And I just pray that we continue the legacy of the church that we've been reading about. We are the legacy of the, these people who we read about in the book of Acts. Um, we're here because they did what they did. And they kept the gospel advancing and moving forward through time to this point now. And I just pray that we, as a, as a family, as a body of believers, are willing to do that, to do the work that it takes to, to grow. To, God, I pray that you give us the courage to be obedient, to take next steps, whatever, whatever those end up being for us. Um, just pray that we're able to hold each other accountable, that we're able to be an encouragement, and that you do great, great things uh, just through the people that are here, God. We love you. Thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more of these messages or info on Greystone Church, feel free to visit our website, greystonechurch.com. We pray that you will have an amazing day.